Father, we thank you for this time to bring you praise and glory, for it is the chief purpose for which we exist. Lord, we ask that you speak to our hearts this morning, that you open up our hearts and help us to understand and to glean and to receive from you. And Lord, I pray for those, Father, who are struggling today. I pray that you would minister grace to them. I pray that you would strengthen their hearts. And Lord, I pray for those, Father, who need you today, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. Lord, speak to us this morning. Move in us. Transform us by the power of your grace. And we will give you the glory for which you are so richly due. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We are uh, we're going to start off by doing something that a speaker would not normally do for fear of maybe just putting the the whole crowd to sleep, but I would like to put the words on the screen so at least you can see it with me as we read them. You don't have to read them, you can just listen to me. But I'd like to look at it for a minute because it gives us a little piece of uh, history that helps us understand what we just came out of. All right, let's do it together. It is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their in, their dependence upon the overwhelming power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions and humble Sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. We know that by his divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world. We may not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied our and and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with the unbroken success, we have become too often self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens, Abraham Lincoln. Wow. And now let's all say the pledge of no, we won't do that. But the, <laughs> that amazing quote just spoke volumes to me as I read that this week. Did you read those words? Did you hear that? Did you hear that message? Is that, is that a message for just yesterday or is it a message for us now, too? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it was with that that this whole uh, Thanksgiving experience we just had was created and it's and it's uh, morphed over time into what we experienced this weekend in our house. It included watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, I was a drum major back in the day in high school, and so I, my, my attention is always focused on the bands more than the floats. But I just I, I, I love the parade, and I, I I turn up the music, you know, to turn up the volume when the band comes by, you know, kind of like everybody else who leaves the stands during the football game at halftime. I show up, you know, I'm like, there's halftime, there's where it really starts. <laughs> 
Oh, band geek. All right, I'm moving on. <clears throat> Pumpkin bread, right? We had that. We did the whole uh, turkey and dressing and chul- my kids. Oh, my four-year-old Silas. I, this is my, one of my favorite parts of the weekend. He destroyed my brother in wee bowling. <laughs> it was great. It was like, I mean, Silas is a pro in bowling on the Wii, and my brother's just like, what is going on here? You know, it's so competitive and I just love it. Black Friday circulars all over the house. Anybody have that happen? You know, the papers just exploded all over the place. And, uh, and then, and then, and then on top of it all, being a Baylor grad, it's the yearly dilemma of trying to decide, do I root for UT or A&M? Ah, whatever. So in the midst of it all, there's gratitude there, right? And it's for uh, salvation and family and health and employment and freedom. And, and last week you started down this road of thanksgiving, uh, unpacking a thankful heart. And through a brief look into the book of James, you are not only reminded that thanksgiving involves action, but you were led to the words of the Savior who said, it is loving our neighbor as ourselves. And although I didn't get to experience the service firsthand, I was watching it on DVD and listening to Ron ask the questions at the end, such as, what will this look like for you? How will we give ourselves away? Internationally, nationally, locally, this week, this month, this year? How did he show up for you this week? What opportunities did he give you? I bet he gave you some. He gave me some. And just as We thought Thanksgiving was over and the leftovers have been devoured or frozen. I'm going to thaw it back out for us one more time. And we're going to take a look at what internally needs to happen if externally we really do live these lives of action, of service. And crazy enough, it kind of does make sense, doesn't it, to look at this in more of an extended way because after all, it is a command. It is... A mandate from the Savior. As a matter of fact, there are very few places in God's love letter to us where he explicitly states the will of God. His will. I mean, we always ask the question, okay, God, what is your will for me? What is your will for me? Check this out. In this moment, at this time, in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for what? For this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. So how do we live out Thanksgiving beyond last Thursday? How do we live out his will for us as stated in 1 Thessalonians? Last week you were challenged in some specific ways about how to do that externally. But today we're going to take a little closer look at what needs to happen to us internally if we truly live thankful. And to do that, we're going to jump into the Gospel of Luke chapter 17. If you've got your copy of the scriptures, I invite you to look at that with me. Verse 11, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, verse 12, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us! Now, these guys were suffering from leprosy, a hideous disease, one that quite often, honestly, we just kind of almost overlook because we see it so much in the New Testament. And it's easy for us to become immune to the physical and emotional and mental pain that they must have suffered with this disease that literally was eating them away from the outside in. 
And so I thought for a minute, as uncomfortable as it is, let's jump into their lives. And I want you to imagine for a moment that you've become infected with the bacteria that cause leprosy. The bacteria begins to spread within your body. And after three to five years, literally, of it sitting dormant, just spreading on the inside, then the symptoms begin to occur. You wake up one morning and you begin to see a few lightened specks on the skin of your eyelids. In time, the disease spreads to your face and your ears and your elbows and your hands and your knees. Your hair becomes bleached white. Terrible sores and swelling become a normal occurrence over much of your body. You begin to have thinning of the eyebrows and the eyelashes. Your skin thickens. Your nasal passages become tight. And you start to suffer from just intense nosebleeds. Your lymph nodes begin to swell. Eventually, you become blind, infertile. Infections from scrapes and cuts lead to the loss of several of your fingers and your toes. And if that's not bad enough, you are officially labeled by the community as unclean. And you're made to wear outer garments that are torn to literally symbolically carry yourself as if mourning your own death. You can't even utter any words to others outside of the colony, outside of unclean. So that no one comes within literally 50 yards of you. In the event that you do move from one location to the other in that isolated area. You still walk around physically in pain and emotionally and mentally wounded from the pain of isolation and rejection. Let's just say that some of your fellow lepers actually, as some did from time to time, slip into remission, but not you. Not you and not your fellow sufferers that are sitting atop that hill in Leviticus, I mean, in, in, um, in, in, in Luke chapter 17, watching the action occur around a local village. It's as close as you can get to the action, you see, of what the rest of life is all around. And as you watch, you see the miracle working rabbi walk into the village. You've heard about him. You've never seen him until now. And as your eyes catch him, you you can't hardly help yourself. You and the other nine begin to scream out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, let's just imagine a twist to the story for just a minute. Let's break from the reality of what was Luke. Let's just say that you heard Jesus coming in to the community. And so you and your leprous friends decide you're going to become like everybody else. And so you grab some uh, uh, some robes, some, some, some lengthy robes to try to cover everything up and maybe even put on some sort of a veil or head garment or whatever and you do the best you can to cover yourself up so you can just be like everybody else because you just want to hang out there and, and just kind of be a part of the crowd, not cause any stir, not, not, not catch anybody's attention. You just want to be like everybody else, which is kind of difficult for a leper, right? Now, as crazy as that sounds, as ridiculous and absurd as that is, the reality is that's often what we do. Because what happens is we often are prone to live out that absurdity by ignoring our pain and hiding our struggles and pretending like everything is fine. 
and to our friends and our family and our colleagues and the people that we even hang out with in these chairs every week. In Adam-like fashion, we attempt to hide. And we even hide ourselves from God. Who wants to actually and can actually bring the healing and restoration that we need. When Levi, my 20-month-old, has a uh, runny nose. Anybody got small kids in the home? You know what I'm talking about? It's almost perpetual, right? It's like a fountain. And so he's got this flow, right? And it's like, I'll say, and every one of my kids is the same way. I'll say, Levi, rhetorical question. He doesn't understand it, but I ask it anyway. Do you have a runny nose? No. And it's like just flowing down, right? Even as he says no, it just kind of pools in his bottom lip, right? You're like, I'm so glad I had that donut this morning. That's good. I mean, it's like, it's like dripping. It's coming down. It's wet. It's, it's, it's everywhere, right? I mean, it's just, and Levi, you got to write a note. No, no. And how we must look to God when he's like, Randy, what about that, um, that habit you got? I'd like to work with you on. What about that fear that keeps you up at night? What about that worry that's just consuming you? I'd like to I'd like to work in that situation. What what worry, God? Drip. <laughs> what fear? Drip. What habit? God? Drip. And you know the blessing in this story is that those lepers didn't live that out, right? They actually did something different. They didn't cover themselves up. That would have been absurd. As a matter of fact, the real story is these guys admitted they were in need from 50 yards out, shouting at the top of their lungs, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And if we want a Thanksgiving to move beyond Thursday, then the whole idea of living thankful involves never getting over our needy condition. Never getting it over. Never getting over it. God, waking up in the morning and saying, God, I am nothing without you. I can't do it, God, but you can fill me. And you know what? That's really challenging in our day and age, isn't it? Because what are we really spurred on to do in the community? To see ourselves as great. It's all good. There are no losers. Everybody wins. We can't even check off the page in red. That would be negative. It's all good. We're all winners, you see. And in our society today, wow, to take that step, sometimes that's the biggest challenge of all, to come to God and just say, God, meet me in my deepest need. I am a needy person. I can't do it without you. And the tradition in the Eastern Orthodox Church would have them praying this prayer. It was called the Jesus Prayer, and it would go like this, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Powerful words. (laughs) Powerful as long as they're spoken out of a broken heart and not just religious right. But the story continues. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Let's return to the vividness of this picture for a moment. They're screaming at Jesus from the top of the hill to get his attention. And everybody around, if they've been hanging out with Jesus for very long at all, watching him work that miracle thing he did, saw him do something completely out of character. 
He didn't say, go, your sins are forgiven, you are healed. He didn't say any of the things that you would have typically heard him say. Instead, all he said was, go show yourself to the priest. That's it. Now, in that day and age, to go to the priest meant I'm walking there to show him I am healed. And he's going to give me the certification that I can enter back into society and move out of the isolation I was in. Now, if you can imagine with me for a moment, what they're hearing him say is, you're healed. But as they look, (laughs) it doesn't look that way. At this point, Jesus is telling them to start walking the road of the healed before they ever see the signs of healing. How do we know this? Look at the verse, verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. I mean, can you imagine the scene? Okay, Lenny, the leper, right? He says to the other nine guys, all right, guys, let's go. The miracle working rabbi is healing us today. And in faith, they begin to take steps Walking, each step, transformation begins to happen. Now, sores are beginning to heal. Skin is beginning to loosen. Sight is returning. Bodies are restored. Pain is eliminated. And what started out as walking away from the village turned into an all-out sprint to the priest who could certify and change it all. Freedom, no more colony, no more isolation, no more pain, no more rejection. The Son of God meets them in their humility and heals them as a result of their faith. And in this moment, our story intersects with their story because living thankful involves not only recognizing our needy condition and never getting over it, but it also involves living by faith instead of feelings. Now, it's easy to live by feelings, right? I mean, that's just, that's, just, that's just natural for us. But it was faith that moved them into action of taking steps toward the priest, even though at that moment, their leprous feet felt exactly the same. I mean, we feel pretty thankful today. After this past weekend, after this week, turkey dressing, cranberry sauce, hanging with relatives, Dallas Cowboys, I mean, somebody's thankful for them. Pumpkin pie, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're into the whole Black Friday thing, maybe some of you lost your thankfulness at that point, you know, you know, duking it out with grandma over the LED HD TV at five in the morning, you know. I don't know, but here's what I do know. Over time, what happens is we end this weekend feeling more thankful than probably any other time of the year. And then all of a sudden, late December hits and the bill for Black Friday shows up. Or April rolls around and there's the death of an unexpected loved one or a friend. Or June hits and they start to unveil the next round of layoffs. Or September's there and your child makes a choice that impacts not only them but the entire family. And all of a sudden it doesn't feel like the last Thursday of November anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And there are times when we we feel inadequate and unable and unwilling to return and recover and just be restored. And it's like the events of this world we've allowed to just land us in this sense of paralysis. You ever been there? And it's in that moment 
that God says, will you take a step of faith? And as you obey, the last thing you heard me say, I'm going to bring healing. What was the last thing that God said to you that you haven't obeyed yet? You see, for Lenny and the other nine, that was the first step to their healing. The majority, as it states, are healed but never look back. Let's take a look at this. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. In verse 16, the personal pronoun he is emphatic there, which underscores the reality that of the ten, he was not only the only one returning, but he was also the one out of the ten that was a non-Jew. He was a Samaritan. He was the one whose race was considered a half-breed, idolatrous race, right? It's at this moment in the gospel narrative that Luke reminds his readers, good news, God's grace is for everyone, even Lenny, the leper Samaritan. Now let's plant ourselves in this story one more time. Healed, forgiven, no more colony, no more isolation, no more pain, no more rejection. All that's left to do now is certification. And let's get there as fast as we can, right? And it just hit me when I was looking at the story this week. It's so often when I've looked at the story, even whenever I was a small child, we would just give, we just, we just speak so negatively about the other nine, right? And so positively about the one. And, and rightly so. I mean, he's the one that returned. He's the one that focused his attention on the giver. And it hit me. It cost him something. Now granted, ultimately he was going to get what the others received for the most part. We'll check that out in the end. It's not quite the same. But he had to stop for a moment and instead of getting the certification as quickly as everybody else did, you see, instead of receiving it at the same time with all of his friends, instead of immediately being cleared and free from isolation, he made a choice to make a 180 degree turn and to move back into Jesus' direction. We don't know how long he had traveled in that direction before he went that way. or We don't, we don't know. All we know is they headed one way. And he went back and it cost him, at, at the very least, some time and energy to gaze into the giver's eyes. And as it states in the Gospel of Luke, he goes back praising God in a loud voice and throwing himself at Jesus' feet and thanking him. He's in this posture of worship. He's returning praise to the one who brought healing. Praise from the one despised by everyone else in the room. Lenny, the Samaritan, now becomes the poster child, right? For getting it right. And the other nine, they are prime examples of how so often we get it wrong. Let's go back to that small portion there in the quote we looked at this morning from Abraham Lincoln. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. I want you to imagine for just a moment. Let's go three and a half weeks from now. It's Christmas. You're hanging out at the home. Grandparents are about to come over. And your kids are like, we want to put a note on the door for grandma and grandpa. And you're like, well, that's so sweet. That's so kind. 
Absolutely. So they go up to the playroom and they've got the markers and the crayons and they're, they're drawing the note and they're putting pictures on it and they're doing whatever and they got the note and they take it and they slap it on the front doors. Right? It's the first thing grandma and grandpa are going to read before they come in the house. And you're just dying to know what it says. So they slap it on, come back inside, go back up to the playroom to play, and you walk outside to check it out and see what it says. And it says these words. Grandmother and grandfather, leave the presents on the porch this year. You don't have to come in, just drop them and go. Really busy right now, sure you are too. And by the way, hope you bought for us better than when you did last year. You're like, that would be absurd, right? I mean, you're thinking, I'm getting a paddle. I'm gonna, no, maybe not. Anyway, you're going to do something. You're like, no, this is not right. You can't do this. This is absurd. And yet it's the attitude that we so often sport with God. Because what we wind up doing is we wind up allowing his gifts to really gain our attention. When he doesn't. See, the gift of the healing got the leper's attention. (laughs) But so did the giver. Paul's attention was certainly taken by Christ. When he says, when the perishable has been clothed, 1 Corinthians 15, with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that fueled Paul's thankful heart there? It was the death and resurrection of Christ. I'm convinced that the degree of our gratitude is a prime indicator of our relationship with God. And if Randy doesn't live thankful, then at some point, Randy's gotten over something really important. He's gotten over the cross. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He says, Your love, what you did on the cross, it compels me to move forward. My heart is full because of my remembrance of what you've done. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gives so that now I can give. He loved so that I can love. It starts with him. So how do we live that out? How do we remember? How do we do that? How do we... I think it's in our worship experiences that we have together in this room. It's in our community that we have in small group together all throughout the week. It's... um, it's connecting life on life with each other. It's, it's communion. As many experienced this morning at the early service, it's, it's taking the time out to dive deep in meditation on His Word. It's journaling. It's a morning discussion with the Heavenly Father before you leave house. <laughs> For me, it's, in real practical terms, making the choice to shut off Fox Radio in the morning on my satellite and choose to listen to Worship and praise. I don't know what it's going to look like for you this week, but it becomes a choice, right? How we put our focus and our attention in his direction. And not only recognize that we're needy, not only recognize that, but also recognize, okay, God, 
I've got to keep focus on you as the giver. I think it changes daily sometimes for us. I think it changes seasonally. I know in this season right now, some of you are probably involved in putting up the Christmas tree, right? You know, we, we just did that at our house. It's always a fun process with uh, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old that all want to help. Or as Levi says, hep. And so they're all hepping me, right? And, uh, and so we're getting all the ornaments out. We started a tradition a while back. It's been kind of fun. What we do is we take ornaments, we buy ornaments that kind of symbolize what our family did that year. So we've got them from all different things that we've done. We've got a Ferris wheel. We've got... Uh, baseball glove. We've got some a snow skier sitting there on the tree. We've got this eclectic blend of all these ornaments. And at the end, typically one of the last ornaments that I put on is one that's fallen down in the box somewhere amid all the other broken ornaments that somehow occurred that way between, you know. And there's this little nail that I take and I put up on the tree and put it up high enough so the little hands can't get to it, but I stick it there because for me, it's always important because it symbolizes... The giver. And I, I don't know about you, and this is not a big selling point for you to go grab nails and throw them all over your tree. I don't really care. What I will say is, however you choose to do it daily, seasonally, in the moment, it's important for our eyes to get focused in on the giver. Erwin McManus, uh, in his book, Uprising, says, lack of gratitude is a manifestation of an abundance of greed. <laughs> wow. You know, we live in a society where there certainly is an abundance of greed, isn't there? These, these points are so, so poignant for us. So living thankful involves never getting over my needy condition, living by faith instead of feelings, staying focused on the giver. And then Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 of one more. And it involves completing the cycle with generosity. I want to look at this passage here. One of the last ones we'll look at this morning. It says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. And for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, at first glance, that passage can just look like a lot of doublespeak. It's like, oh, what in the world is he saying there? And if we had a whole lot of time to unpack it, here's basically what Paul is telling the Corinthians. He's saying, you've been given a lot. And out of your gratitude, when you gave from those gifts, it pointed others to God. And as they got pointed to God in their obedience, it spurred on thanksgiving. And out of that thanksgiving, they remembered the giver. And check this out. The cycle is complete. And in that, an incredibly important lesson is learned. One that takes us back to last week, if you were here. That a generous life is reflected, is reflective of a grateful heart. Again, in Erwin McManus's book, Uprising, he says, it is gratitude that nurtures wholeness and expresses itself as generosity in the end. 
Gratitude is the pathway of love. It unleashes the healing power of love. It increases our capacity to experience and to give it. That's what Paul is saying to these guys in 2 Corinthians. He's going, way to go, guys. Your generosity increased your capacity to experience and give love away. And guess who benefits? We do. And our spouses do. And our kids do. And our neighbors do. And our coworkers do. And our boss does. And our Facebook friends do. And our Twitter fans do. Everybody around us in our circle of influence benefits. And ultimately, most importantly, God is glorified. As we are fueled and empowered to give our lives away with our time and our money and our energy. And I don't know how it's going to look like for you this week. But I know this. It could be little things. It could be enormous things. I've got some friends. Uh, they, uh, they own this oil exploration business in Lake Charles. The Tadlocks. And what began as just a, uh, he, he was, he, he flew a plane part time, right? I mean, just kind of in, on, a, on the side. He, he was, he was, he was a pilot. And, and in his spare time, he, he would get in his plane and he was connected with, uh, uh, w- w- with this, with this organization that would take Bibles into, uh, into portion, isolated portions of Mexico, right? And so he would, he would fly Bibles into these places and, 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 and drop them off. And, and, and that just began to fuel even more and more of a, 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 of a missional heart in his life. And before long, he and his wife had sold it all. And all was pretty cool because I remember, side note, doing this Disciple Now at their home one time when I was a leader. And it was one of the coolest Disciple Nows ever because, like... They had this yacht that was a part of their backyard because they were on the water. And our whole group did the whole disciple now small group thing on the boat all weekend. Way cool. Anyway, um, and so and so he, he sold it all and wound up in Africa with his wife giving the gospel away to people who had never heard it before. That's where they are today. My friend Todd in Knoxville, he works for HGTV, the, um, uh, the commercials, the spots, anything that you see that comes on promoting or beginning some show on HGTV, Todd's hands are in it. He's absolutely a master at what he does. God so got a hold of his life that now in his spare time he uses his talent not to make a little more money, but to give himself away to the community organizations in the area that don't have the money to promote themselves. So he goes out with his camera and a crew that he gets to volunteer. And he just promotes the snot out of these organizations that have no ability to do it for themselves. I don't know, again, what it looks like for you, but I do know this. The overflow of a grateful life will be a generous one. There's a final thought I have here on this whole leper story. <laughs> you know, they all receive the healing. And, and, and God's movement in their lives was not dependent on what their reaction would be afterward, right? It wasn't this conditional healing. He just healed them all. God's grace. Wow. Oswald Chambers puts it this way in his book, The Place of Help. The blessings of God are an indication that God is overflowing in grace. And benediction, irrespective of a man's relationship to him. Men may partake of the blessings of God and yet never come into relationship with him. That brings me to this thought about Lenny the leper. 
the Samaritan, he comes back. And in verse 19, Jesus says to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And did you catch it? He heard that, but who didn't hear it? The other nine. They missed the link. They missed the explanation from the Savior. The grateful leper was the only one who learned that his faith had played a role in his healing. Say, what's the point, Randy? The point is a grateful life moves believers toward a better understanding of who God is and of his grace. And that's actually a pretty sweet benefit. Because what that says is, as I live thankful, my relationship with the Father deepens. Now, I'm not sure where you are today or what God wanted you to hear. But I know this. He pursued you into this moment in the middle service for a reason. Maybe it was to be reminded that we just all need to approach him needy. And that's okay. Because we are. Maybe it was just to get a little bit of insight as to how we can live by faith and not just feeling. Because the feelings will leave. Maybe it was just to rediscover and be reminded how important it is to stay focused on the giver. Maybe it was to be reminded from last week the link between the grateful heart and the generous life. I don't know what it was, but I do know this. If we walk away and we begin to act in those and take one step at a time, what's going to happen is, and this is really beautiful, right? We become like Lenny. And we begin to uncover the heart of God. Because we've walked into his moment gratefully. Let's pray together. God, I just want to tell you thank you. Thanks for reminding us this morning that we need you. And God, most of all, thank you for your son. We're about to sing again of the sacrifice. God, it's all about you. No greater gift could have been given on our behalf. God, may we never get over the cross. God, May we be completely overwhelmed with you. Father, thank you. Thanks, God, that we all um, (laughs) recovered from the weekend enough to show up here in this moment to put our attention on you, to hear what your love letter says to us. May we walk in steps of obedience as we worship you with our lives this week. In Jesus' name. Amen.